Welcome to Parallax by Anka Kalra, a podcast produced by Radcliffe Cardiology to bring you a new angle of all things cardiology and the best from the US Cardiology Review. Published every second Monday, Anka Kalra, MD, interventional cardiologist at the Cleveland Clinic in Ohio, USA, speaks with legendary cardiologists, reviews late-breaking trials, and interviews authors of our latest and best US cardiology review articles. We call them hashtag audio articles. Parallax is the effect whereby the position or direction of an object appears to differ when viewed from different positions. So this podcast is your fix of reliable updates on all things cardiology by someone from a non-traditional background who is always looking at the industry from a new angle. Now, here's your host, Anka Kalra, MD. Hello, everyone. Um, I have the pleasure, yet again, uh, this is uh, the third episode uh, of the mini-series, so episode 11 of Parallax, um, of having with me uh, Dr. Chenayan um, from Michigan. Um, and, you know, Kavita is on the line, and I'm going to share um, it with Kavita. And, you know, we both have been recipients of, uh, you know, really great feedback on Twitter and other social media platforms on how uh, the first two episodes uh, for the mini-series on burnout and resilience have struck a chord with, uh, you know, our audience and our listenership. So thank you all, everyone uh, who have taken the time to listen to these podcasts. Uh, you know, they certainly have been extremely relevant for me uh, in person. And, you know, Kavita and I were just talking before we began recording that, you know, it, it almost is surprising to us that these two episodes particularly have done so well, you know, because, um, you know, as cardiologists and as people who are taking care of patients and who want to be at the cutting edge of science, you know, we just uh, reach out for more science and cutting edge science and and data, like we've talked about in the past. And uh, you know, you know, these uh, these mini series are a detour from uh, you know what we generally talk about. Um, and uh, I, I think our growth has been very organic, which I'm very pleased about. Um, you know, but I'll, I'll have Kavita chime in as well. Kavita, welcome. Um, sorry for the long introduction, but I thought I would just share that with the audience, uh, you know, just because the response has been so overwhelming for me. Yes, yes. Thank you, Ankur. It's, it's such a pleasure to be back here with you. And um, I think, you know, I, I think this is the kind of stuff that we all have been hungering for. Um, and somehow we've put it on the back burner perhaps and and now that we're it's finally out in the open perhaps it's a relief for some of us um we'll see <laughs> uh yes um no i think um so thank you again for taking the time i know it's um a late evening on a wednesday evening uh, it's it's work day for both of us uh, but you know you've been very generous in providing time to record these sessions um so i'm, I'm going to just start uh, the third episode of this mini-series, the, the concluding episode, um, with the topic of self-care. You know, self-care, which, you know, I think is is very important for combating burnout, if you will. Um, yeah. And again, something which uh, is being talked about a lot in lay press. And, you know, I just actually, Dr. Narula, Jagat Narula, uh, shared on Facebook an article uh, which was published in Forbes just today, and it talks about self-care not being indulgent but being crucial. And I haven't read the article; I just read the headline. But you know, it was like, yes, I'm going to talk to Kavita about self-care today. So, 
um, <laughs> you know, enlighten us and educate us about uh, self-care. You know, what do you think about self-care? Uh, define self-care, if you will, for the audience. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think I think the way to think about self-care is, um, and and this is something I tell my patients quite a bit, particularly women. You know, um, women patients. Um, and and I'll give you this example of um, of why this is relevant for women, particularly, but of course also for men. So. Um, Women are so busy taking care of everybody else, right? And and so the last person on their list is themselves. So a lot of times, and, and we see this in cardiology all the time, so, so much data out there on delays in seeking medical care. So, you know, if a woman's having um, chest symptoms, for instance, um, it's it's more likely that she'll put it off in favor of you know finishing what, whatever it is that she is doing to care for her family and to care for others and and so you know it's like okay yeah I'll get to myself later and so what happens in this situation is eventually you know there is this burnout <laughs> because that tank gets depleted you know the, the the tank from which we give gets depleted. So what I tell my women patients is you can't give what you don't have, you know? And so self-care is the process of filling your tank. It's the, the constant process of refueling your own tank so that you can constantly give to others. And, it, the giving comes as a very joyful overflow of this tank rather than a forced, I have to do this, or this, you know, the sense of responsibility or this burdensome sense of responsibility. And that le- eventually leads to resentment and cynicism and so on, which is really what happens in medicine too. Um, we kind of, you know, are are so focused on doing whatever it is that we need to do for our patients, for our careers, that we start to run on empty, um, you know, mid-career or so. And and that's when this whole burnout, uh, you know, starts to set in with uh, cynicism and resentment and um, this exhaustion. So so self-care is really about filling your tank. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a great definition. I actually have not come across that definition, but spiritually, right, from from the practices of meditation. I mean, that's exactly what yeah. meditation is all about. It, it's about it's about filling your reservoir, right? It's about rechanneling your energy and your focus. Um, and it, it involves a lot of inner work, right? And you know, meditation. I mean, at least from what I've learned this past year, uh, you know, having gone through so much this past year, um, and yeah. you know, meditation has been, um, you know, sort of the savior. Um, you know, obviously, of course, my son <laughs> as well. But you know, meditation has been the the savior uh, for me. I, I think in person, um, and yeah. you know. I, and now that I sort of have started to talk about meditation and sort of disseminate its power to others, you know, coworkers um, at my new job or, you know, even family members like my parents, 
you know, they, and they sort of want to try it out. Right. Because it's like the, the, the cool thing to do, um, <laughs> you know, just because, you know, everybody seems to be doing it and talking about it, but, but really it's, it's, it's a process which requires, um, a lot of determination and a lot of inner work. Um, and yeah. you know, the, the journey when, like when you begin meditation, the journey is not easy. Like it's, you know, it's like cleaning uh, the analogy that I, um, I heard uh, from, I, I think it was either Robin Sharma or Jay Shetty. I think the, the, that was a, it's a beautiful analogy. It's like cleaning your, cleaning the room or cleaning the, the, the attic or the garage, which has not been cleaned for, for decades. So yeah. uh, there's going to be a lot of dirt and a lot of dust um, and a lot of discomfort, uh, but, but in the end, you know, there will be cleanliness and peace. Um, so, you know, as a meditator, um, filling that reservoir makes a lot of sense, but, I, you know, I, I think, um, I wouldn't, should not have expected anything less from a, from a very advanced meditator like you, uh, to have such a beautiful <laughs> definition of self-care, but let's just break it down to pieces for the audience, right? Because, you know, like, sure. we were, like we were talking about, like there, we, when we hear self-care, we hear about diet, we hear about exercising, we hear about... Um, vacation. Vacation, <laughs> exactly. You know, just like taking time off and just flying off to an unknown land or to a foreign country or somewhere, just, you know, vacation yeah. time. Um, but there's more to it, right? There is, uh, the, this is just a, a very superficial way of defining self-care. Um, yeah, yeah, it is. It is. It's really superficial. I think these are very important things, you know, diet and uh, exercise and taking time off are really crucial aspects of self-care. But, but they're, they're not it, you know, they're not all of it. Um, because, you know, how many people do you see? I mean, you're an interventional cardiologist and, and I'm a clinical cardiologist. I know people, I see patients day in and day out who are on fabulous diets, who exercise all the time and yet have, you know, all kinds of problems, right? Inflammatory conditions and so on. And this is not to say that, you know, it, it, Diet and exercise should not lead to any disease. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that it's not enough. And uh, the fundamental issues of depletion should be addressed. And for some people, I think exercise is meditative, but those people are really few and far in between. Most people think they're there, but that, is, that may not be true. You know, because for for a particular activity to become meditative where, you know, we talked about the task positive network and the um, default mode network last time. Sure. And so the whole purpose of meditation is to quiet the default mode network. And mm -hmm. if that's not happening, it's not meditation. So um, and, and just going to a yoga class or, you know, going for a run, those things will temporarily perhaps do that and and you know they do do that and this is why a lot of people love being in the zone you know it, because being in the zone means that the that the default mode network is quiet and you're finally in the flow of life 
And so that's really being in the zone. And that happens at certain levels of particular kinds of activity, like if you're mountain climbing or you're skiing or whatever it is that people like to do, um, you can be in that zone. But those are not opportunities you have all the time. It not it doesn't happen every time we go for a run, for instance, or it doesn't happen every time you go and do a particular activity. It's kind of a hit or miss, right? And so we have to find a way where that default mode network is consistently allowed to rest. It's, it's like, you know, um, it's making it a habit. And that's what you were saying earlier, right? With meditation. Yeah. What happens is, and, and we don't even need to call it meditation. It, it's just spending quiet time without anything, right? It's just sitting quietly for five to 20 minutes twice a day without really engaging in, in talking, in, in um, thinking, which is really impossible if you don't have a meditation technique because the mind always defaults to that default mode network and you're, you find yourself thinking. So just spending that quiet time, you know, is, is crucial because then once we get into that habit, it's like exercise. Every, you know, you're, if you run once in a while, you're not going to have the same kind of conditioning as running every day, exercising every day. And that's when you, you build up the, you know, the stamina and the endurance and all of the fitness benefits come from doing something every day, right? Ex uh, meditation is exactly like that. So sitting down every day, being consistent and committed to it is what will bring results. So meditating once in a while, oh yeah, I went for a meditation you know, workshop and meditated for two hours one day and then did nothing for six months. That doesn't work mm -hmm. because that's not how the brain works, right? Yep. So um, I love the analogy you gave about you know, the, the cleaning the attic. And one of the uh, analogies I tend to use a lot when I'm teaching meditation is meditation is like cleaning your windshield wiper. You know, imagine trying to drive with layers and layers of stuff on it. And so meditation is like cleaning that. You, you turn the wipers on and um, you start cleaning your windshield. And, and so what happens is your perspective and your, you know, your perception changes. The way you look at things changes. The way you interpret the world, the way you interpret your own mind and the minds of others and the the events of the world and your own daily life. So your whole perception changes because of this house cleaning that's happening in the neurohormonal system. So that's really what happens in, uh, you know, the, with a consistent practice of meditation. So um, self-care, you know, it needs to go beyond this diet and exercise and also, you know, building up this, uh, you know, this quiet time, this mini vacation for a few minutes every day is so much better than trying to go on a vacation once in a while. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. By the way, I love, you know, going on a beach and forgetting about the world. But a lot of times what happens is you can be on the beach, but your mind is still very active and you're still thinking about all these things you need to do. Um, so although you're physically there, it, it, it's the mind doesn't really turn off. So what is needed is this consistent application of a technique, whatever that technique may be. Um, so does that make sense? 
Yes, it does. Um, you know, I'm going to share with you a few examples that I incorporated um, into my own practices. Um, yeah. You know, and this is just, I mean, we're two cardiologists talking. I, I sort of forget that each time we have these deep conversations. Um, but, you know, so the, the, first, the first concept that you, you brought up was just being in the zone. Uh, and, yeah. you know, when I was sort of starting off, you know, I think I would say earlier this year, so I've probably, or maybe a late last year, somewhere around fall last year is, is when I really started about thinking meditation in a serious way. Um, and, you know, the, 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 so the one analogy that you gave or uh, the one concept that you shared was being in the zone. And, you know, I, I, I thought about it and, you know, I, I said that the one time I'm actually only thinking about the task in hand, not thinking about anything not, like remnants of the past or, you know, worrying about the future or just being yeah. anxious generally, the, the one time when that happens in my routine is when I am in the cath lab doing a procedure. Um, uh, yeah. It's yes. like I'm in the zone. I mean, I, I totally zone out uh, and I'm just focusing on the screen uh, and what I'm doing. Uh, you know, I realized that after the fact, I mean, it came, you know, this, this knowledge, this self-awareness or this self-knowledge about where my mind is going and what I'm thinking it came after I yeah. sat down and, you know, had a conversation with myself about, okay, when is the time that you think you are only involved in the task and not thinking about anything else? Uh, and it was, yeah. it was the cat lab, you know, uh, surprisingly enough. I mean, it was, it was a revelation for me. Uh, and then, mm. um, you know, my next next obvious question, you know, was what can I do in my time outside the cat lab, which is, you know, which is, is, substantial right i mean i i'm not do, i'm not in the cat lab 24 hours even between cases i'm outside the cat lab i'm not actually in the cat lab doing the case uh, what can i do to replicate that scenario what can i do to replicate that environment um and you know like you said it's it's hard like it's hard to shut the default uh, uh, mode off completely because yeah. It's it's constructed of a lot of remnants of the uh, for me at least you know at least last year it was constructed of a lot of remnants from the past it still is uh, I mean it still is a, it's a constant uh, you know it's constant work it's constant challenge um, and um, you know just uh, coming back to the point from the last podcast of being in the moment right um, yes is, you know savoring every emotion you're feeling savoring. Um, every, um, how shall I say it? Like every sense, every sense object and it's, yeah. it's, um, it's sensation, you know, just savoring everything and just absorbing everything and just becoming more self-aware is how I started the practice. Um, yes. and then what I also started was just focusing on my focusing on my breath as I was walking or even while I was typing notes on the computer, you know, I was, um, you know, for example, if I'm just doing a cat's report, uh, following the case on the computer, I would make it a conscious effort to focus on my breath, the breathing in and breathing out. Uh, and while I was doing that specific task and, you know, I, it, it, at the beginning it was difficult, but then it started coming together. Um, yeah you know, after I would say maybe three or maybe four months, it started coming together. It, it started showing its effect. Um, 
you know, and I'm, I'm still a very, I'm still very, very early on in the journey. And, you know, I still have those struggles of not keeping focus while I'm meditating or, you know, my mind wandering uh, into the past quite often uh, or, you know, ruminating about the future, yeah, ruminating about the past or thinking about the future, even now quite often. But, you know, I have made progress, uh, you know, compared yeah. with where I was last year. Um, you know, so, I mean, I, and I'm, I'm sort of, you know, detailing these aspects for the audience or for the listenership, because, you know, I'm, I'm sure people who are trying to get into self-care and meditation are facing these challenges. And, you know, I think the, the, the message is, you know, the way I've, the, the reason I've deconstructed this is the, the message is that it's, it's, it's a natural process. You don't have to hit, yes. you don't have to hit it perfect, like from the get go. Um, yes. So, well, you know, there is no such thing as perfection. You know, that's, yeah. I think it's a very good point you're making. And I just want to mention this because this is one thing that this is, I think, one of the biggest myths about meditation, you know, is um, people say things like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to sit here and quiet my mind as if, you know, if we could do that. Right. If you could just sit there and will your mind to be quiet. Um, that would be another thing. But, you know, it's it's just not possible. And also, um, it's really not about what happens when you are meditating that makes all the difference. It's really what happens in your daily life that changes um, as a result of the meditation. So it's really what happens, um, you know, in quotes, off the mat, rather than what's happening during. Because you may think that, okay, this whole 20 minutes that I sat there meditating did nothing. You know, my mind was wandering the whole time. And then the next day you sit down and, you know, you don't know how the time passed. And before you know it, your timer is going off and you have been really in that deep state of stillness. And then the next day you're back to, you know, just all kinds of memories coming up and so on. So the whole point of this is that it's unpredictable. And because that technique works on so many levels of the mind, day in and day out. So we can't really hang our hats on what is happening while you're meditating. It's really what happens in your daily life that changes. You know, like you're saying, you become more self-aware. Um, you're able to savor things differently. And then, you know, it's just that your perception starts changing very subtly. And the kinds of judgments you made about yourself and about other people, they kind of start dropping away. And what you really find is that there is a very gradual open-heartedness where you are becoming more tolerant and more compassionate and more uh, accepting of yourself, first of all, and of others and of the faults that you, you know, the flaws and the faults that you saw in, uh, in other people, it, it just kind, kind of starts softening. And along with that, the flaws and faults that you found in yourself also start softening. So it's, it's a very subtle and gradual and progressive kind of a process. And it's just that house cleaning goes on and on and on and on. So there's really no end to that. So there is no end point to this journey, right? Because it just goes on and on. 
cleaning a deeper and deeper and deeper level. So the whole point of that is that you become freer in, in how you're interacting with yourself and with the world because your perception is clearing up and your windshield is becoming clearer. And, um, you know, the, the, the lens of your own lens is becoming clearer, whereas in the past it was cloudy and you weren't really able to see things as they were. So that's really, you know, it may sound metaphysical, but it's really not. It's very applicable to ordinary life. You know, this has nothing to do with, you know, all the metaphysical visions and things like that. That's besides the point. It's really this, the very simple act of being human becomes very enriched and very sweet and joyful and and um, meaningful you know where that cynicism that that wall of cynicism that we had built around ourselves starts to crumble and, and I, I don't know how you feel about that but for me I feel like that is purpose of human life you know no matter which profession we are in or what we are doing you know how we live our lives that's irrelevant the purpose of human life is to really open the heart and include more of the world more like all of the world into it you know mm -hmm. yes you know talking about purpose you know i i you know well for i mean first of all you know i i so i agree with you i think it's um it opens you it completely opens you it makes you vulnerable which is how which is how you should be i mean i think you should be open vulnerable um because you know yes i mean granted when you're vulnerable you will be you will be hurt right uh, because yes. you are sort of vulnerable and gullible and that's fine but i think what will also come um with with that vulnerability is is abundant love um yeah you know from sources which you wouldn't have otherwise imagined will will provide you with that that love right um, you know, yes. at, at least that's that's how I that's what I've experienced. Uh, you know, going through just you know deep pain um, and being completely you know shattered, um, and then finding solace in in meditation and and my son. Um, but then just going through this period of complete openness and vulnerability um, has been has been a journey for me. Has been a personal amazing journey for me i would say and you know if i were to go back and change anything if you will you know, I, I would i wouldn't change anything i would not change a thing um yeah. just because i've you know and you know i was sort of talking to um a really good friend who's also a cardiologist he's probably going to listen to this episode his name is saurabh saurabh dani he's um you know i'm sure you've come across his tweets they're they're very uh, educational he's a he's a phenomenal clinical cardiologist um you know it's sort of uh, you know, listens to uh, listens to our conversations and uh, is is very learned in this aspect himself. Um, and I was yeah. having this conversation with him, um, and we were just talking about growth and pain um, that the two go together. So um, I think the the biggest lesson that I've learned is, you know, if there's pain and suffering, the universe is sending you signals for growth. Um, yeah. Um, so, you know, that has been an eye opener for me. So, um, and, you know, in, in retrospect, it sort of makes sense. Um, and so, you know, so coming back to purpose, uh, sorry for, you know, digressing and 
maybe going tangential and off topic, but the, the purpose, uh, to me, I think the purpose is to find yourself is, is the biggest purpose. Uh, yeah. And then, uh, you know, in, in finding yourself, if you can identify a passion, which you deeply, deeply care about, you know, for me, that's make a dent, uh, you know, my nonprofit and for others, I mean, for you, it's, it's Gita and meditation and, you know, preaching the practices of meditation, which I think is phenomenal because you're touching countless lives. Um, I think then, you know, you sort of align the body with the mind and the soul, which is, I think the, the overall arching mission of all of this, right. Right. Is, yeah. is to align the body with the mind and the soul. Yeah. Um, so, you know, what I say to myself every day is, you know, uh, I have three tasks. Like I have to train my body. I have to master my mind and I have to enrich my soul. And, yeah. uh, you know, I sort of have, um, so I do, I, I, I do it diligently. Like I exercise diligently <laughs> and then, um, I, you know, meditate diligently and then I do something for my cause and for, for my passion, which is, which is, you know, make a dent, um, um, I, I do that. I have been doing that consistently for the past, you know, almost a year, um, and yeah. I, I can see that that has already made such a such a tectonic shift and difference in how I have dealt with, um, you know, crisis. Um, and I'm yeah. I'm sure all of us will have to. I mean, you've you've gone through crisis as well. I mean, all of us will at some point yeah. or have gone through crisis at some point in our lives. Um, and you know, with that with that discussion, you know, you brought up uh, a very interesting concept when we were talking off the line before we started recording. Uh, you brought yeah. up uh, a term which actually was new to me. So and maybe you didn't realize that when you were talking, but it was new to me. So I, I I caught on that and I said I'll reserve that for the podcast recording. And that was oh, okay. and that was chronobiology. That's such an that's yeah. a, such an interesting term. You know, I'm a sucker for. Uh, new words, um, I, I sort of pick them and, you know, look them up and sort of keep them in my repository. So um, what is what is chronobiology, by the way? Let, let, let me start. Let me start by that question first. Um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so. Um, so, you know, in 2017, two Americans won the Nobel Prize for their work on chronobiology because they actually. Um, described the 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 you know the the genetic mechanism for the um these you know the uh, clock genes basically and um how the how these you know these um they're called oscillators and they are these clock genes that turn on and turn off which results in the switch you know in the circadian rhythm so it's basically a description of the circadian rhythm of really what happens you know with this this whole system of you know primarily you know when you think of the circadian rhythm you're thinking of cortisol and melatonin which are the catabolic uh, the cortisol is the catabolic hormone, hormone uh which turns on when you start waking up in the morning and melatonin it turns on when you go to sleep at night. And um, so that's anabolic. And so these two metabolic pathways are kept separate uh, by this very intricate and sophisticated mechanism, um, which 
you know, of course, they're in the in the brain and as well as the oscillators and various organs. So, uh, chronobiology is really understanding the um, these two specific pathways: the catabolic pathway and the anab anabolic pathway, and then applying that to lifestyle changes. So, what is so interesting for me um, about this is. It's, it's because of my training and my practice of Ayurveda. Ayurveda, as you know, is, uh, you know, is the oldest medical system in the world. And, um, it, you know, it's, it's uh, almost 5,000 years old. And um, it, there, it's a very highly sophisticated um, understanding of biology. And, this whole description of chronobiology is already there in Ayurveda. So what we are describing now, you know, in the last 20 years or so, was already well described thousands of years ago. And so mm. this, you know, the prescriptions for lifestyle that I tend to give my patients really depend, is, is really based in Ayurveda. And that really is based in chronobiology. So for instance, one of the biggest things I tell my patients, and also when I'm, you know, I'm doing, when I'm giving these talks to fellows in conference and so on, is it, it really has to do with two important things. That's sleep and when you eat. So it's not just what you eat. It's also when you eat and when you don't eat. So if you, if you for instance, if you overload your system, when when the anabolic hormones start coming on which is as as sun starts setting then there is the catabolic hormones need to turn on again which is cortisol and all the related um, you know the whole the whole pathway and those as as we all know you know that eventually leads to a lot of um, you know uh, problems not only in digestion and sleep but also at this this level of the cellular metabolism and you know the inflammatory pathways are turned on and so on so the best thing to do is to eat you know when your catabolic pathways are active and not eat when your anabolic pathways are active which is don't eat anything after sunset so one thing I tell everybody that asks me for diet advice is don't eat anything after 6.30. Mm. If you haven't eaten by 7 p.m., don't eat that day. And so, you know, this whole concept of intermittent fasting, which, you know, so many people talk about, is really based in, in this, in uh, chronobiology. So you don't really have to fast for 48 hours or even 24 hours. All you need to do is fast every night from about 6.30 p.m. to about 7 a.m. the next day and yeah. allow the melatonin pathways to do their thing. And, and when you're eating during the day, make sure that the biggest meal of the day is at lunch. You know, that's when all the, the your whole pathway is really active and can take care of metabolize and, you know, digest and do all of that really well for lunch. But you see the Western society the mechanism or the the habit of the western society is to hardly eat anything all day and have a big meal for dinner 
Yeah. And that's, you know, that is like the worst thing you can do because you're messing up, you know, your circadian pathways, right? So I always say eat a heavy lunch, have a light and early dinner, and then don't eat after that. And so if a lot of my patients, right, who have had metabolic syndrome or they have had, um, you know, a very difficult time losing weight and so on. This is the first thing I tell them. Don't do anything else. Don't change anything else. Just do this. And all of a sudden, you know, their lives are better. They're sleeping better after about three weeks. And then they start losing all this weight and so on just by making this change alone. And you can see it, it makes absolute sense, right? Because we focus so much on what to eat that we forget that it's not really only what you eat. It's also what you, when you eat and when you don't eat and when you allow things to work, uh, you know, in, in, in line or aligned with the circadian rhythm. And so the same thing with sleep, you know, um, it, this is a very hard thing for cardiologists or physicians to do is to really take enough time for sleep because we always feel and i felt like this in my younger years that sleep is overrated i'd rather be doing something else and and sleep you know when i absolutely have to <laughs> and but what happens is it just catches up with you over time so again you know the melatonin mm -hmm. pathway is so important and it it really you know is so sleep dependent that if you don't get enough sleep then you know, the, there is more inflammation and all of that. So sleep is super important. And we, I think all of us, everybody listening to this knows. So my prescription generally is go to bed at 10. Don't stay up beyond 10 p.m. And then wake up before 6 a.m. Nobody really needs to be in bed beyond 6 a.m. So if you sleep 10 to 6, that's when, you know, these, these anabolic pathways are active. And then wake up at six and get your day started to be aligned with your catabolic pathway. So uh, this is a very elegant system, in my opinion. And, um, you know, this is what I follow in my personal life, but also prescribe it. And of course, it's not possible to always get this kind of sleep and so on and or even adhere to diet, you know, recommendations. So in general, what I say is if you adhere to something 80 percent of the time, your body can compensate 20% of the time. It's just if you're constantly assaulting, you know, your body and your mind, um, you know, with erratic lifestyles and irregularity, you eat one day, you don't eat another day, you get good sleep one day, you don't get another sleep the other day, your digestion is off, your elimination is off, and then you expect to feel good. That doesn't happen, you know? It's consistency that makes all the difference. Yes, you know, I, so uh, great, great discussion. I mean, I, 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 again, I mean, I'm going to just say it out loud. I'm not a spokesperson for Robin Sharma, but uh, his uh, <laughs> new book, The 5 a.m. Club, um, is exactly preaching, uh, you know, the concepts of chronobiology that you brought up. And that is if you can go to bed by 10 and if you can wake up, um, you know, by five, by five or six, you know, I think 10 to six is, is a great, um, um, you know, time zone for, uh, for gathering sleep. You know, I, I would love to do that on a consistent basis. I'm guilty of, 
uh, you know, abusing my sleep system in part also because, you know, of my job. I mean, I'm, I mean, I work as an interventionalist and I'm on call now more so often than my previous job, but I'm like, I'm, I'm on call, uh, you know, approximately eight to 10 times in a month, which is, you know, it's, it's, that's, that's a busy call schedule for, you know, for STEMIs and, you know, just to be, be waking up, uh, odd hours. Yes. Um, but I, I've, on days when I'm not on call, I've tried to adhere to the schedule that you've just described. You know, that is, you know, my, usually my, my meal is anywhere between, I would say five thirty or six, that's my dinner time. And yeah. then I would, um, you know, it's not that I don't eat at all before I go to bed. I'll probably grab an apple, uh, you know, with, you know, just like hot water in between, um, you know, between yeah. my dinner time and, and, and bedtime, or maybe, you know, just like, water and yogurt if you will uh but now that now that you've now that you've brought that up i'll probably uh you know change that as well uh but the the one question that i have and this is a a question that i i it came across naturally as you were describing you know the meals and the timing um uh, of meal uh was the importance of breakfast because you know there was a jack paper uh yes. you know, journal of the yes. american college of cardiology a paper that looked at breakfast, so consumers of breakfast, and I mean, you are you are a, you are an imager, and, a, and you read CT scans and coronary calcium scores. Uh, so that paper was was looking at breakfast and and CAC scores, and then it also looked at breakfast and mortality. Um, and yes. the, the conclusion was that if you if people who have like good breakfast, you know, have have better mortality rates compared to people who skip breakfast. Um, yeah. So where do you get breakfast in the picture? Like what is, what, what is your prescription for breakfast? I, I do think that, you know, it's a very important meal and it really depends on how hungry somebody is. You know, it really depends on your body type and your metabolism. And, and some people are, you know, ravenous during breakfast and some people just really want to eat just a little bit. The whole point is don't skip meals. You know, this is one thing I can't really emphasize enough. People think that by fasting for longer periods and, and by skipping meals, they can lose weight or, or things can happen. But actually, that really messes up your system. You know, and fasting is great for some people, but not other people. And uh, it really depends on your your individual system. And And this is why I love Ayurveda's so much because it's not like a one thing works for everyone. You know, mm-hmm. it really depends on you and, and what you're made up of. And so I don't recommend fasting unless, you know, I know somebody's body type and, and don't skip meals. This is one thing I can't really emphasize. So it's like, and this is so hard for us as doctors, right? We're so busy. And the last thing you want to do is eat and a lot of times you're just like grabbing something and and not even paying attention to what you're eating so all of that goes into self-care you know really paying attention to your own body and then nourishing it in a way where your you know your your tank is filled and that nourishment needs to happen on so many levels it's not just what you eat it's not just how much exercise you get it's also the nourishment that comes from calmness and peace and joy and love and um and all of that yummy lovely stuff you know uh, and you know i i just i don't know how you feel you're younger than me but life goes by too fast you know you can keep thinking in your 20s and 30s oh yeah i have all the time in my 
life to make these changes. I'll do it someday. Before you know it, that someday is there. And you, you look back and you think, where did all these years go? You know, I could have been, I could have done better, you know? And so one of my goals in life is to never have regrets, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so it's whatever it is that I want to do, I want to do it now. I never want to wake up one day and feel like, oh, I should have done that. So um, that includes self-care. You know, it's it's loving yourself enough to care for your body and care for your mind and care for, you know, your yourself so that you can give. Because our profession is so much about giving and we can't give what we don't have. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, no, I agree. Um so I mean I, I think it's 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 great that we're having this conversation. I think it's time that we have this conversation. I've seen uh, you know when I was in training, I, I and I saw so many attending physicians just you know like you said skipping meal uh, or just uh, rushing uh, rushing by uh, and grabbing you know even as even as fellows in training. I mean I mean I think um, you know for all the fellows in training who are listening to this or even you know house staff or you know, even cardiologists or attending physicians, you know, I don't remember as a fellow how many times I've just opened up the cabinet and grabbed peanut butter and, uh, and saltine crackers. Right. I mean, it's, yeah, <laughs> you know, you know, Ankur, I think, I think part of the problem, I'll tell you what it is. I think is we glamorize this. We glamorize this to think that this is how a great cardiologist lives and, and does things, you know, by sacrificing their own self-care. For some reason, we have put that on a pedestal and we think that that's the right way of doing things. That is what needs to change. Mm -hmm. You know, that is really what needs to change. It's, it's um, stop, you know, stop really um, worshiping this madness, this insanity of, um, you know, if, if you are going to be an interventional card or any cardiologist, you have to work like this. You know, it's, it's, we call it good work ethic, but actually it's insanity. You can still have a very good work ethic. In fact, your work ethics, your, your work ethic gets much better when you take good care of yourself. I agree. And, um, yeah. And somehow we have glamorized this in our field. We have, we have really put this on a pedestal and we've said, this is what a great doctor does. Doesn't eat, doesn't sleep, and just does this all day. And that's, you know, that's fine and dandy until you burn out. <laughs> so uh, that, I think our field needs to change. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, you know, listen, I, I think, um, so first of all, um, you know, this is this is our concluding episode. I'm going to conclude the podcast and the recording, but I want to take a moment to just thank you for sparing your time and really enlightening us on several topics that we've discussed. I think in these three podcasts, um, you know, I'm you know, obviously we've had reaction on social media and it's been very positive and welcoming and and just it just seemed like that you know people were just craving for such conversations and I'm glad that we've become the medium or the media for such conversations to occur. I think that's, that's fantastic. Uh, you know, it gives me a lot of satisfaction that that has happened. Absolutely. Um, yeah. You know, so, uh, so thank you really, I genuinely wanted to just take this moment to thank you for, 
you know, all the time that you've uh, you've shared with us and with our audience and and with all the concepts that you've given us. I mean, I, you know, in, in a span of just these, these three episodes, I've learned a lot, um, you know, and, you know, as a concluding note, you know, we and we've talked about this um, again, you know, offline, you know, we, we should collaborate more on, on projects, you know, not only like these, but also on, uh, you know, also on manuscripts and, and you know absolutely you know one 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 thing so you you you're you're a prolific writer and a prolific author and you've written uh, the heart of wellness and you've written shakti rising and you know i want uh, to sort of uh, you know it's my honor to sort of provide you with the platform for just describing in in a few sentences what is your third book looking like because you know i uh, through these conversations off the line you know just orchestrating and scheduling these podcasts i've learned that you're coming up with a third book so uh, yes. congratulations on that, by the way. I don't know how you do that, but that's phenomenal. Uh, you know, I've, Thank you. I've, over this past year, I've also actually I've written a short collection of poetry, uh, which is going to come out. Hopefully uh, it's going to come out on Valentine's Day uh, next year. Wow. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Um, you know, it's, um, uh, it's, it's very close to my heart, you know, cause it's just, uh, it's, it's, I've been always, wa- I've always wanted to write and, you know, I did not know that poetry would come naturally to me, but it, it sort of, uh, you know, when you, you know, and this, going back to our point of when you're going through pain and growth, you know, there is a, the universe is send, sending you messages of, of growth, which you are not aware of. So, you know, I, I yeah. think how uh, all, you know, everything that has panned out has, has panned out sort of beautifully. And, and I'm, I'm, I've collaborated with um, uh, an artist in California who's uh, going to, you know, give uh, art to my, so I'm, I'm the, I'm, I've given the words and she's giving the art to the poems. Um, and wow, we're going to, we're going to put it together as a collection. It's going to hopefully if all goes well and in time, um, it's going to come out on, on Valentine's day. Uh, and then I don't know, I don't know if you know about her. There is a British poet, Bhanu Kapil, who's, um, who's given the, um, you know, she's written the, the sort of synopsis or review for the book. Uh, so, mm, you know, just fantastic. because, I mean, I'm, 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 a, I'm a rookie poet, if you will. And, you know, she's someone <laughs> who's an established person and I was coming out with this and I just wanted, wanted uh, like a professional, you know, someone to sort of critique this and, you know, just tell me, you know, what she thought about it. And, you know, she thought that it was very like visceral and, um, and very, um, you know, very moving. So I'm glad that she did that, but, uh, you know, Talk to us about the third book. Well, um, first of all, I can't wait to read your book. Um, Ankur, I've seen some snippets of your poetry and I love that. I love it. And, uh, you know, I, um, I, I, you know, I think I shared this on Twitter some time ago, but um, I write poetry too. And, it, and you know, my name means poem. Wow, <laughs> so that's it's incredible. just a coincidence. Yeah, so I, I published quite a few poems on my website, and I know how that is. And it's it's one way uh, of this deep and raw expression. And so I can't wait to read your book. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, my book is really a. Um, it's not about cardiology. <laughs> yeah, neither, neither is mine, by the way. It's far away. It's far <laughs> removed from cardiology. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I, I'm a practitioner and a teacher of um, 
what a tradition it's um, of a tantric tradition known as Sri Vidya or which actually means auspicious wisdom. And mm. um, so uh, this my third book is actually a, um, a an exploration of this, um, the path of the goddess, which is really what it is. It is the path of the goddess. And um, it's an exploration of that through um, the 1,000 names of the goddess. So um, that that's what it is. And it's really, it's a blend of, uh, um, you know, I'm more of a practitioner and then a scholar rather than a scholar practitioner. So it's really meant for uh, people who are, interested in this uh, path of the goddess and want to learn more. So it's a very popular, um, you know, it's a, it's a chant or a hymn, the thousand names of the goddess. And really it's an, it's an exploration of the philosophy and the practice of this path. Mm, that's, it's, it's fascinating. I, I would have to admit that it's um, it's a little over my gray matter for the moment, but uh, you know yeah. <laughs> I, <laughs> I'm going to learn more about it. And you know, you know, once once I've um, sort of learned more about it, I, I'd be intrigued to actually read it because you know it's it's um, I, I like reading. I like I like reading you know abstract uh, literature, which uh, you know is very important for lateral thinking and development. Um, but yes. you know, again, yeah, this is this is all that. <laughs> yeah, no, this is so. This is exactly what I need. So uh, <laughs> uh, again, so you know, thank you very much. Um, you know, it's it's personally, it's meant a lot to me to have you on the show uh, and to talk about uh, you know all the concepts that we've talked about during these uh, during these three episodes. I, I know that this was uh, a last minute scheduling, so thank you for that uh, and. You know, enjoy time off. Um, I think uh, this episode will release on the day you come back from vacation. Um, and yeah. I, I know we've we've talked about vacation, and I'm going to conclude by just uh, actually requesting you. Um, now that I've learned that you you do poetry, and 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 you know your name actually means poem, uh, to request you to actually be kind enough to write the foreword for my book. Um, Absolutely, I would love to. <laughs> if, if 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 that's fine with you, I would I would send the manuscript's been edited and is ready. So I'm I'm actually going to send you the manuscript um, th that you know after you're back from vacation or whenever you get a chance, if you can, you know, write a forward. That would mean a lot to me. Um, Absolutely, Ankur, I'd be honored. Thank you. Yeah, no, thank you, thank you for everything, and um, you know, I will uh, will will keep will keep uh, having these conversations and you know, obviously gauge response from audience and hopefully get you back soon on the show. Thanks again, Kavita. Thanks for everything. Thank you. Have a good night. Yeah, you too. Bye-bye. Dear cardiologists, we want to make this podcast about you and for you. So please email us your critical thoughts, comments and questions at podcast at radcliffe-group.com and visit uscjournal.com for more information. You can also follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook and Instagram at Radcliffe Cardiology for daily updates. Join thousands of cardiologists and become a Radcliffian by registering to radcliffecardiology.com. You will receive regular newsletters and gain access to hundreds of expert interviews, educational webinars, clinical cases, and peer-reviewed articles from our six medical review journals on general cardiology, interventional cardiology, arrhythmia and electrophysiology, cardiac failure, and vascular and endovascular surgery. 
Thank you.